0: Hello, sweet friends, and welcome to the Vandeltron Curious World Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Finest Kind Tea. Check out their website, finestkindtea.com. You can follow them at Twitter, at Finest Kind Tea. It's mixers and modifiers, handcrafted in the lovely state of Maine. Uh, go to their new revamped website for recipes, uh, not only for drinks, but for food as well. And they can actually give you uh, advisory in terms of your own palate. FinestKindTea.com, follow on at Twitter, at FinestKindTea. Uh, awesome ingredients and really super cool people. Ha- again, handcrafted in the lovely state of Maine, all natural ingredients, non-GMO. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is summer, it is hot as shit. Uh, today's guest is Lindsay Cat, musician, artist, painter, thinker, dreamer, lover, writer, and um, this is an amazing conversation i uh I, I admire lindsay so much. I was a fan of her music before we met for this conversation and uh it, she was just she's just so open she's so warm uh so funny uh it's it it's amazing you know i i i am so grateful for her to open up to me and to have this uh free flowing uh honest conversation. Um I will say that uh it is a little bittersweet. Uh, this is the last podcast that uh that my cat Bob was around. For longtime listeners, uh you'll know that uh that Bob is, you know, lurking around and kind of sleeping or whatever. Pretty much every episode that uh that we've ever done. Uh, he um uh, unfortunately we lost him. Last week uh he um he passed away due to complications of a of a surgery and uh it's sad and uh my girlfriend and I are, are you know, we're, it's uh, it's a process and uh you know it'll get better. Uh we always we remind ourselves of all of all the good times and, and the and the lessons Bob has taught us. Uh you know, the beginning of this episode. Uh, lindsay's is greeting him and you know he's uh as as he as he did with all all guests particularly females he wooed her and uh bob i love you uh miss you um you know this one's for you buddy uh i'm gonna play you out to uh some of uh a song called Shout from Lindsay Katz Happy Fits of Rage EP, which I highly encourage you to to go get. I got mine on iTunes. Uh, I think you can get it pretty much at any uh, downloadable uh, musical purchase format. Go get it. Uh, this conversation spans everywhere between, um, uh, you know, growing up in Montana. Uh, as Lindsay's grandfather once said, you know, the the dangers of believing your own bullshit. Uh it's and it's funny we we kind of open up about influences of like how we both don't like being interviewed and and oh so what are your influences and uh, and I'm so stupid I actually brought it up too uh, <laughs> and we talk about uh, and we of course you know I will say what I take away from this conversation is labels uh, you know labels are uh, labels are a tricky thing and uh, you know as artists and and anybody as human beings we kind of locked into that. Um, uh, from ourselves and, and viewing the world uh, that way too, and uh, this conversation really kind of reminded me that to uh, you know remove those blinders and just kind of see things or take things in with an open mind and, and an open heart. So without further delay, my uh, wonderful conversation with uh, my dear sweet uh, new friend Lindsay Cat.
1: Hey. Won't you come out and greet the day Won't you come hear my voice and say That you've always felt this way And oh my darling, say you're sorry No, I cannot stand to see you go Like shoes no solace without a soul Shout, 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 scream Say you love me, shout, shout, shout out to-
2: And I just it's felt like, like... real cheap too, like, they're like, who are your influences, you're like, who cares? Yeah, and then, <laughs>
0: yeah. And then you, you get the article, and you, if you see the article or whatever, or the clip, and it's just like, that's not me at all. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a, a free-flowing format in the sense of, you know, we can just kind of, you know, talk about anything. And, and I feel like the things that we want to talk about kind of not organically surface, right? Totally. Or, or whatever that may be. Um, would it sound good? yeah absolutely okay,
2: great uh, <laughs> um
0: yeah so he's just kind of gonna mill about what's his name bob
2: bob oh my god that's the name of my first spider <laughs> yeah for, i went through a whole thing where like i just named all my critters bob i was, like the most fundamentally cool
0: animal name yeah, he was a rescue so he has you know he that was his name before um, he uh he was surrendered like four times and the oh. last the last family said that he ruined Thanksgiving. Oh God! I was like how? <laughs>
2: no, no, just all by himself. He just right. Did he like
0: it. <laughs> like like telling bad jokes of like look at that, look at her. That's right. hilarious. Um, so right off the bat, I noticed that you're uh, you're uh, okay. I'll I'll, I'll 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 backtrack a little. Okay. Are you you're not originally from New York, right? Okay. Where are you from? Montana. I thought so, because I was looking... The reason I was... uh, This is going to sound really weird. Because you're stalking me (laughs) now. Well.
1: um,
0: My my girlfriend and I were wondering, like, you know, like, places to live if we were ever to leave New York. And uh, we... (laughs) She picked... She picked two places. She picked Hawaii and Montana. Oh, amazing. And Both of those are like
2: really scenic, outdoorsy sort of places too,
0: though. We've never been to either one. <laughs> and so we were kind of, so we were researching uh, Hawaii, and obviously it's nice, but at the same time, there's no, there's no economy. Yeah, yeah, and, totally you know, I was reading about, you know, the aspect of people getting island fever, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's kind of rough. Only thing I know, I'm like, I was like, well, I don't know anything about Montana. And she's like, well, oh, they have horses okay, that's good enough for me. They do have horses.
2: I don't know. I, as I've gotten older, I've realized women come in one of two categories. Like, those of us who had horse faces and those of us that did not have horse faces. I'm assuming your girlfriend is somebody who went through a horse face as a kid? No. No. Uh, no she's from Japan, so oh, okay. she's, uh,
0: I don't think she's ever, I don't know if she's even seen a horse live. Um, I, I
2: mean, more like, they get really interested in horses and they put like, horse posters on their walls and... No. Was that you? No. Um, was <laughs> So
0: you were the opposite. You didn't want anything to do with horses?
2: I didn't dislike horses. I like horses. I just didn't go through the phase. Like I knew a lot of girlfriends at the time who went through like a horse phase who like got really into horses.
0: So so describe Montana. So you can actually help me. Like is it a Montana place that I should relocate to?
2: Um, I guess it depends on what you're looking for. I think Montana is beautiful. I mean absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, and I think that if you're into being in nature and doing outdoorsy things, you won't run out of things to do. I think if you're not into those things, or at least not dominantly into those things, the novelty of Montana being beautiful wears off pretty quickly and sort of gives way to boredom. (laughs) So, which can be a very good thing too, but... Yeah, I guess,
0: like, for me, like, because, I mean, I'm not from New York either. I'm actually, I grew up in uh, in Boston and, and Virginia. Um, So what I like to do in New York is kind of balance it because, you know, we're surrounded by concrete and dead things all the time So I do try to like um, You know, I try to go like Bear Mountain or things like that out of the city sometimes as much as I can Uh, But yeah, I don't know if I'd want to live in like a suburban area I'm like my and my options of culture are like Olive Garden or the public library So that would be depressing. So it's like one of those things, that you know, like, do you? How do you balance that? Absolutely.
2: Well, I don't. I mean, and I think people get different things out of living in different places. I certainly have. And there's a lot of places that I would love to live. I think that I could be really happy living. Um, but I really like when things are happening a lot and, and things are unpredictable. And I think that's the opposite of where I grew up, which is where not that much is happening, and you know, far in advance usually when things are going to go on. So. I don't know that I would choose that for the stage of my life, but I think there are other stages of my life where I could be really happy in rural settings and you know beautiful scenic places. But I don't think that time is now.
0: <laughs> did you? So did you go from Montana to New York, or was I did? You know,
2: I went. I did. I moved originally to Buffalo, New York, which uh, I mean I was very very young, and I moved there and I worked as a nanny there for a year, um, and I had a, a great experience, a really nice time, um, but. It wasn't didn't really satisfy what I thought I was looking for when I was I'm going to New York and realized that New York State and New York City are very very, very yeah very I was very gonna good. Say, like were you were you thinking well, like I mean, I were had you gone thinking Buffalo at the time and I thought well i would gotten an offer there from someone and at the time I looked it up and I'm like oh it's the second biggest city in the state like that should be that's a city still like that's still what you're looking for and it just was not so it's always cold right it was cold I, I mean I had a, I had a really good Uh, situation. Uh, You know, I had vehicles in like a warm house. (laughs) Didn't have to venture out too much, which was nice. But yeah, it was just uh, not what I was looking for at that time either. I think it's really just like finding what's right for you in the moment that you are, for living anyway. Right. For traveling. I mean, game over. I could travel anywhere. Did you
0: now? were you doing music in Buffalo?
2: I wasn't at the time. I was still doing the I think uh, stifled young person's, no, no, this is just a hobby sort of thing, and, like, I'll do something else that's, like, a real job later. And was sort of doing that. Where does that come from? I is, think,
0: that, is that, like, from your family? or?
2: No, you know, I, my family was never really specifically like that. I think it's just sort of through osmosis. I think that a lot of artists get that uh, from society at large. And I think it's really difficult because it's one of the few jobs where nobody gives you permission to do it and that says, and now you may be an artist, like, or you are credible. I think a lot of artists spend their careers looking for that credibility in different things, like validation through awards, or validation through sales, or what have you. Um, But yeah, I think a lot of us struggle with that, that, yeah, that credibility factor, the fraud factor.
0: Yes, Um, and uh, it's it's so telling how, Uh, somebody's output, regardless of their art form, you know, why they're in it, and their longevity, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I've been, you know, I've been in New York for, for a while now, and I've kind of seen, um, you know, I came here specifically, you know, for acting, Mm -hmm. and I've seen kind of the trajectory of people in terms of their energy, um, uh, as, you know, it's gone on to uh, you know, I've seen the uh, like the p- person who's like gung ho, and it's like running around the city okay. and going on all kinds of additions to now, where it's like just like being very bitter. And you isn't know, that interesting? Like, I've
2: noticed those two sort of divergences, also. Like on one hand, you've got people who their their eyes get a little wider as time goes on and they get more peaceful about the universe and things happening right. the way they're meant to and like opportunities coming and going and the others just get really cynical and bitter <laughs> but I very rarely found a middle ground in that
0: <laughs> like I, you know I so I was part of the uh, the, the Shakespeare festival in, in the city a few a few weeks ago and uh, um, we you know and it does a variety, a variety of things like sonnets and, and yeah. soliloquies and things like that and then we culminate in um, in a a small production of something, and this one this year was uh, King Lear, and a guy he wasn't he's not really a friend he's more of an acquaintance because he was I knew him but he was going to see there to see somebody else, and uh, he says to me, yeah you know um, the the guy who played Edgar was he was okay I mean I would have done some things differently I was thinking like that's it like like okay but you didn't so why are you telling me this you know I, I just it's just like this energy of, like... But what you just uh, highlighted
2: is also, I think, one of the big pitfalls of the arts, which is they get trapped in this lie of comparison, which means that somebody else's artistic choice is somehow on a hierarchy of comparison, and that there can be, you know, something... Oh, I could do that better than that. It's like, well, you can do that the way you're doing it, because you're you. <laughs> right. And that's sort of just it. But that's my perspective on the arts. I don't see it as a competitive... Uh, situation, I, I really think true artists who are making real art, there isn't even room to compare it to other people because there's an assumption that they're going to assimilate other people's work and you know, learn and make new choices and try new things and take risks and that's part of what makes it so magnificent is that it's either really splendid or really awful and it either affects people or it doesn't. And sometimes on one side people think it's really awful and sometimes on the other side same piece of art, people think it's really splendid. So, you know, it's this huge dichotomy that I think is uh, really accessible and I think we've tried to conform it a bit too much.
0: What So what influences you? Like how do you draw up on, and how do you, like what influences you to write? You know, is it, is it, because you're a musician, is it sounds or is it colors?
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been, I've been dealing with the labels question a lot, um, you know, what are you? How do you define it? What do you label it yourself? <laughs> no, and it's an important one. I think labels, you know, can help us understand one another. Um, I don't think that they're evil. <laughs> um, but I think it is... A... Oh, just be careful when, you know, someone's <laughs> listening to this on their earbuds. I gesticulate thing. a lot and will probably knock something over. Oh, that's all right. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I identify more as an artist than I do as a musician. Um, because for me, it, it's just... It's the medium of the day. It's, the, it's a medium that I do well, it's a medium that lights me up, that I get excited about, that I want to work with. Um, but I would work with pretty much any medium if I didn't have access to music. <laughs> so in terms of you know, what influences me, um, everything. I mean, everything influences me. Anything that comes in goes you know gets sort of rearranged and reconnected and put back out. Um, in terms of what inspires me, I would say mostly people and my interactions with people. Um, I think that's a big reason why I do this particular job and not something else, which is that I think there's an exchange that happens in art with people that is less accessible in other fields that I really love. And I think that's a big one
0: for me. How do you balance being uh, an artist who's a musician and you know the musician who uh, is trying to put out their you know, their art out into the world because, you know, with technology and I think of all art forms, I think music has been really affected probably the most in terms of, uh, in terms of a platform.
2: Yeah, you mean like the interwebs? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. People (laughs) just stealing music or or just even promotion.
2: Right. Um, So let me understand your question better. You mean, how has the changes affected me?
0: Yeah, and just in terms of, uh, you know, how, I mean, or, or does it? I mean, and just in terms of, you know, knowing in your, in terms of your distribution, because, you know, the, the fact that you have to put on your business hat, sure. and you know that, okay, so how how does this get distributed? I mean, does that factor into, you know, who, when you're actually creating the art?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, we really have two big parts of our job, right? We have the, I would consider the biggest part, or the most important part, or uh, maybe more the integral part which is you have to do your work first (laughs) so you have to you know have a piece of work that you're doing uh, something you've imagined, something you've made something you've done uh, and you have to do that in the only way you can do it, the best that you can do it and focus just on that not what people will think of it, not what market it will go to just do the thing first. When the thing is done the other half of our job is to figure out how to sell the thing (laughs) or to make it accessible for people to pay for it or consume it. I personally would rather have my work available for free um, to people who can't afford to pay for it in the traditional commerce market model um, and have the people who can afford to pay for it uh, patronize me by doing that and you know, and be a patron to my work. Um, I, I think that model works really well for a lot of reasons. I think it has a lot of problems, too. Um, which is that people have gotten used to not paying for work at all, and so sort of the, the inside voice that we all have that says this is valuable, what they're doing has value, I should value that by paying for it. Like You, you wouldn't walk into a store and think you could just take something that you were entitled to if you wanted right. it. Um, we have a lot of that disconnect between art and the consumption of art right now, and I think I hear a lot of brilliant people discussing how we're gonna fix that. Um, you know, I see artists like Amanda Palmer and companies like Patreon, which is a great way to support artists right now, talking about this a lot um, in their own careers. And and a lot of arguments happening. People get really touchy about money. They don't like talking about it, and they don't like talking about how we're going to make it happen. <laughs> and you know, she, uh, she, Amanda, has a really beautiful way of putting it, which is how do you let people pay for music. I think that's just right in the sort of philosophy that I am hoping (laughs) to to get to, which is that I think people want to pay for the things that they care about. I think they want to invest and support and be a part of the art and work that they care about. Uh, And it's just letting them have sort of an ability to do that uh, in a way that they can stay engaged in it. I think the internet is wonderful for that. It lets people build communities and exchange ideas. You know, plagiarizing people's work, that feels like a whole other <laughs> topic, um, you know, stealing. Again, um, I would rather people have access to it. I don't worry about people sharing. I hope that people will share it. I hope they'll burn it and share it and spread it around. Because I do believe that at the end of the day, the people who can't afford to pay for it will. And they'll show up and, and say, hey, this is, I'm in a position to do this. When I was a starving college student, I couldn't, but now I can. And I hope that people will remember that we have that responsibility, if we want to see art made, to do that when we're in a position to do it. And to cut people some leeway when they're not in a position to do it. And to say, you know, you still deserve to have art in your life, even though you're not at you know, X amount of income level it shouldn't affect our ability to get art made. I think it's just something that's still rapidly <laughs> evolving into whatever the next incarnation of it is gonna be. And I think part of the issue for us in our jobs has been catching up to the technology, learning how to use the tools when we have them, uh, and not being afraid to disregard the tools when they no longer work, uh, which is a big problem. And uh, yeah, I mean, the internet is beautiful, in the same and the same things that make it beautiful also can make it kind of nasty (laughs) you know we have a lot of people who can talk to each other can create a lot of positive things create a lot of negative things (laughs) Uh, I think a big issue now is that so many people are making their art and putting it out there on the same platforms that we're all we feel this sense of competing for volume and visibility Uh, and I would I would prefer to see us utilizing those tools and resources together uh, to sort of lift one another up in the community instead of just competing to be the most loud and the most obnoxious <laughs> to the fanfare, who I think is getting a little tired of being solicited by artists to please come and support their art, to please come and you know, try and make their job possible.
0: Yeah, do you, um, I mean, uh, in, t- in terms of labels, do you, uh, how, how have you been labeled? In terms of your, I, I was reading online sure. that some people, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you were considered uh, indie pop, I think. There was one that I said, I don't even know what that means anymore. I knew what it meant like in the 90s. Mm-hmm. but
2: um,
0: like, so, so how do you, I mean, what, what's your take on that?
2: Uh, on labels uh, for myself? Yeah. I don't pay much attention to them. Um, I think again, I think labels are, are a really good catalyst to understanding for a lot of people. And many people use labels to try and organize their lives in a way that makes sense to them. Um, Indie has been an interesting transition because it it originally meant independent from a label system, which is a bit ironic in the context of this conversation. (laughs) Um, You know, which is essentially just a large uh, company that sells you as a product, as an artist, and your work as a product. And that used to be a monopoly on the music industry. It used to be the way that we consume music specifically in the arts. And you know, with the internet, and you know, frankly, before predating the internet, lots of people went rogue and sold their work out of suitcases on the road, and you know, sold shows and played shows. Um, it used to be that if you wanted to put out an actual record, unless you were financially independent, you needed that system to do it. And since that system has evolved with the internet and is still trying to figure out how, where its place is now as a big, you know, as a big business, uh, artists are realizing that they don't necessarily have to go in that direction, that they don't need them the way that they used to. And it's really throwing everybody's radars off. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think indie music used to be independently produced music I think it's become its own genre um, and it stands for something a little different now which is more just a stylistic sort of flavor to the music that's being made. Uh, and I think that both have a lot of challenges in terms of what direction you decide to go. I don't believe there's a right or a wrong way to do it. I don't think that if you, you know, sign with a label that you're a sellout or that you will necessarily be very successful. I don't think if you go independently that it will be a cakewalk or that you'll necessarily be very successful. (laughs) Um, Both models are sort of notorious for failing. Um, Music is an incredibly difficult artistic form to monetize because people have gotten used to not paying for it. Uh, So yeah, I think it's a challenge that we're all facing and I don't have an answer. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I had a, like, I have a, a, you know some friends that you know their band was signed and and then the label just kind of put them, in, put them on ice. Mm-hmm. like,, oh, we don't know what we are going to do with mm-hmm. you. I mean they got, uh, they got happy because they got signed and mm-hmm. they had that upfront money. Yeah. Um, but then but then they put them on these uh, like these quarterly goals, you know it was like as if they were salesmen. I was like, well, we can't make these goals because you're not promoting us, you know. So, they didn't do anything with them, and they got dropped, and uh, and I think that really caused a lot of strife within them, and yeah. you know, a lot of. So, it's kind of interesting for me as an outsider just to kind mm-hmm. of see the the you know the rise and fall of this band that, and I wish the world could have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly wasn't because of quality that they didn't catch on. It was just it was just that exposure. Um, uh, it's it's always boggled my mind how uh, non-creative people can get into uh, decision-making roles in creative aspects of 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 artistry. That's just yeah. so
2: well. I mean, it's the music business, right? And it's the business side of the music business that people hate talking about because it's not as exciting as you know the art-making half of. You know the art making of the world, <laughs> um, you know, but it is a very practical problem. Uh, you know, if you want to continue to do the work that you do, there is a level of capital investment that has to happen, where you have, you're putting money into the work that's getting made. You know, records are expensive. It's expensive to make a record, and people don't talk about that either. And it's it's not that it's an unfair cost. I mean, you look at you know what it takes to make a record and the people involved. Each one of those people is trying to feed their family and make a living and keep their studios open. And you know, it's it's a very delicate ecosystem. And when little parts of that ecosystem get thrown off, it throws the whole thing out of balance. And the internet has done that in many ways to the ecosystem that once existed for music. And it's become a, a big challenge. You know what you just said that that anecdote about your friend. That's a story that we hear constantly about people, you know, these horror stories of, you know, label systems that failed. Uh, but I've heard just as many horror stories from the independent side of, you know, quote-unquote failures too, where people didn't make any money, they couldn't get any visibility, nobody ever heard their music, and that's a sort of innately tragic thing. And I think as long as the intention is is good, in either model. I think we're gonna find or at least move closer to solutions Uh, you know I think there is a I don't know I guess an underlining sense that artists are not good at business which I just completely disagree with (laughs) I don't think that artists aren't good at business I think like anything and any skill set if you cultivate it you'll get better at it but I think a lot of artists are very often told, oh, you're not good at that, oh, that's not your job, that's somebody else's job to look after, or you, somebody else, should be doing that. That's what I have run into the most, um, especially as a female musician, uh, which is that I get told I shouldn't be doing things a lot, you shouldn't be learning about that, you shouldn't be doing that job, you shouldn't be unloading that truck, <laughs> you shouldn't be setting up the equipment. Now, does, <laughs>
0: does that, that kind of, uh, uh, you know, finger-wagging, does that go into your actual music? Uh, like, oh, you shouldn't be doing... Like, I don't
2: let it anymore. I mean, it's certainly, I think it's like anything else. I think people will give or take as much room as you give them. Uh, you know, I think I don't get told anymore because I stopped asking. I started asking people that whose opinions I respected that I care about. Uh, and that's it. And so in terms of the art itself, nobody influences the art. Like, that's a hard rule for me. If I'm doing a, you know, a commercial piece of work on commission, that's a different story somebody said hey could you please make me this track and we would like it to sound this way and we will give you money to do that to me that's like solving a puzzle it's like right. problem solving and it's fun and it's a different kind of you know art making and creation but it's not my art when I sit down and I make my art that's a different thing and to me you have to let somebody tell you how to do that or you have to be small enough that you don't say anything when they try and boss you
0: around <laughs> so what, what was that evolution like how did you get there
2: I'm still getting there. (laughs) I think I've just gotten better at it. I think time is a beautiful thing, (laughs) and uh, helps a lot of uh, these processes move along. But I think just experience. I think, you know, it's like, uh, have you ever been out in the world and had something happen that you weren't expecting, like, you know, an accident, or somebody's fighting, or somebody says something to you and you weren't expecting it, and you just freeze?
0: Oh, yeah. That's that's called life, right?
2: (laughs) Well, so I think it's the same thing. I think, like many things that we want to change in our lives, we don't know how to react to them the first few times that they happen to us. We're not prepared. And so for many young artists, I think that's the biggest issue, is they're not prepared for the level of BS and things that they're going to encounter. And for me, my experience was really, I would come up against something and I would have that reaction, I would freeze, and i wouldn't really know how to react. And then I would think about it a lot. (laughs) And I would, you know, I'd do the thing that I think a lot of us do where we sort of go around the thing and think about it from different angles and like, what if I reacted this way? (laughs) Like, that would have been so much better. Or we watch that happen to other people and we see how people do react to them and the way that they interact with their situation. And we make adjustments in our head. And we say, okay, the next time I run into this problem, this is the reaction that I'm going to try on and then we see how that goes <laughs> and and then we just kind of course correct as we go and see if we can learn from some of our mistakes and that's that's what's gotten me to hear uh, and it's been very helpful you know in a lot of these uh, issues and there's so many I mean you could talk about any pick your poison if it's you know even if it's just we don't like what you're
0: doing <laughs> right yeah
2: you know learning how you're going to react to that just the criticism of people not liking you or what you what you do which is very real and completely okay. Art is not supposed to be liked by everyone. It's not supposed to be consumed. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) i have a little throaty thing. Um, Consumed by everyone. And learning how to both face, accept, and acknowledge that and deal with it uh, is a big part of what we do. It's a big part of our job. And I think it is just trial and error.
0: I think so many times uh, artists, um, oh, feel free if you want to lean back there's a thing on the fridge that you can get more water if you want you can just kind of uh uh, or Bob will do it um I think sometimes you know artists get so uh, wrapped up in their ambition Mm -hmm. of like and something kind of stalls of like um I mean I mean you know oh I you know I wanted this part I didn't get this part oh I Mm -hmm. suck oh Mm -hmm. my god my whole world's coming down what do I have to do and I'm gonna ramp up um and that that's so exhausting. You know, that's I'm speaking from from my peers, but also personal experience of oh, yeah. like of like <laughs> He's wanting, <an> actor, right? <laughs> right, of like wanting something so desperately and then putting so much emotion behind it and not getting it and just like, like ah, yeah. and then covering and saying like oh well, whatever, you know, and just not dealing with it. And um, I think yeah, I mean to 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 your point in terms of you know. If you don't, if, if something happens to you, whether it's good or bad, and you don't learn from it, you're probably going to make that, that thing's going to happen to you again and again and again. Uh, I think whatever happens to us, we can, we can learn from it and grow and, and yeah. hopefully evolve.
2: Well, it's so human to hate the feeling of failure or rejection, right? Uh, and to try and sort of mentally soothe yourself <laughs> over why or how. Um but i've I've gotten to a whole different place, which is you know, I don't actually think we're supposed to get everything we want. In fact, if I think back on my life, I think, God, some of the things that I wanted would have really ended badly for me or really taken me down you know paths that wouldn't have made me happy. <laughs> so I'm actually really grateful that I don't always get what I want. <laughs> um, that being said, I do also think that there's this level of reevaluating what it means to fail at something and and looking at it as more of a tool than sort of a wall. Um, because you do learn a lot from, from failing at things and sometimes, you know, things don't work out the way we want because, you know, they were just not good <laughs> or not good enough to, to do, you know, whatever society's rules were for that thing. And and sometimes it's just part of the process of making things. And, you know, The first time that I made a song, it didn't sound anything like the songs that I'm making now, for good reason, which is that I learned a lot between then and now.
0: (laughs) Also, too, I think if you are, if you have that much resistance for failure, then you put up these walls, and then you start to fear failure. I try that again. Start to fear failure. There, I did it. Uh, And then you don't learn anything new. You know, you don't try anything new, and that, to me, is the, the that the, that type of person, regardless if they're artist or not, that is the, my, my pet peeve of person. The person who's just very narrow-minded and doesn't, it's not really, they're right. You know, they have a view, and they're right, and they don't really care about your view. Uh, they don't want to try any new foods, and they don't want to, you know, not explore any new cultures. That is so boring to me. That person is just like, I mean, obviously live your life, I don't really care, but it's just, So your perception of what is right and what is success, and that's it, right? So you're not going to sway from there, and that's it. And to me, that's just not adventurous.
2: Sure. And, you know, some people, you know, they see failure as something losing money or not not making money, Um, you know, which is money is the whole reason I got into the arts. I don't know if that saying was true for you. I just knew the money was so good in the arts that that's that's why I wouldn't do (laughs) that. So... Um, but no, I mean most of us didn't get into it because we wanted to make a lot of money I think most of us knew that we could do something else and make a lot more money than what we're doing now and uh, we just get really lit up by doing the thing and you know, I, I still get terrified of things and you know, my solution to that has been if something scares me just to do it more until it doesn't scare me because I was I, I had terrible stage fight for a long time I still get stage fight before I go on Less so now being on stage, um, but something about being looked at and analyzed and judged, I could feel it all. I could feel all the analysis Does this Does the size <laughs> of the room matter? No. No. Um, in fact, it's, it's interesting, I think it matters more to me now than it used to in that I, s- I feel more of a responsibility when there are smaller groups and I can see people, and I, I, you know, there's more of a controlled audience when it's sort of this big faceless crowd. Yeah. It's a completely different experience. There's not as much accountability just in the moment that you all are sharing together. And it can be yeah, it can be a really And you're you're <laughs>
0: interfacing with the audience, right? So anytime so I've I've so I've transitioned, so I i trans I also do stand up now, so yeah. in standup you you're looking directly into the audience, which is not what I did. And uh, not what I did, you know, as an actor you're feeding off it but you're in control. But now somebody's looking at their phone or just like whispering to their neighbor and thinking, I'm bombing, I suck, I oh my God, this person's so bored, like any little thing. Yeah. So I would imagine you know, so you so as a as a as a singer, as a musician, you're locked in, right? Absolutely. I mean any kind of, you know, a and guy... We, and we do. We absorb watch. it all. Yeah, we
2: absorb it all. And that's a really good point, too, that you're making. Um, it's why I love house parties so much and small settings because there's no waitresses checking their watches to go home and no waiters <laughs> going, oh, God, I hate this kind of music. Like, there's nobody who doesn't want to be there. They all want to be there. And when you have energy in a room uh, and, you know, 15% of them really don't want to be there, like, you pay attention to all that, too. And it all, you know, gets sort of sucked into what you're doing. Uh but yeah, live music is really unique that way because it can't. You, sometimes you kill and sometimes you die out there. <laughs> like that's just how it is, and that's you know another thing that is also really exciting because it's really authentic and just organic and real.
0: So I've been uh, um, been very curious about you know what uh, you know what you listen to because your uh, your your music is really eclectic. You know, the, there's the uh, things that. If I the David Bowie cover yes, David and then Bowie. <laughs> uh, I've been hearing I've been listening to shout like oh, all day awesome <laughs> and then and then um, the ballad on on that same EP, mm-hmm. um, so it's very eclectic and it's I uh, it's amazing. I'm not wouldn't if you weren't here I'd say that to you know my listeners. I, I really like it. Thank it's and it actually lightning struck that you're actually a singer, <laughs> you're because if you were, if, you if I didn't like your music, you'd be like, hey, how that about it? would be a, unfortunate. <laughs> hey, have you ever been down Broadway? <laughs> um, no, it's really, it's, it's, I really like it. It's, it's really good stuff. But, so I'm curious, like, what, so what do you listen to?
2: Wow, I listen to very eclectic music. Um, I have no rule for genre or tempo, um, just whether or not I like it is, you know, how I gauge good views, music versus not. Uh, I do think people get really pretentious about their music, and I have tried to avoid uh, running into this pitfall during interviews, uh, especially regarding influences, because I think a lot of artists, we get stuck in this really tempting position to try and sort of... Oh, I
0: just listened to film Underground. Yeah, on the ground. Well, to, <laughs> to, to
2: try and, you know, arrange our public playlists yeah. in a way that makes us seem really Cool, and, but not only cool, I, I, like I, sensitive and cool, but like yeah. modern, but like also classic, and like listing all right. these people. You're like that, here on this is me. Yeah, to brand yeah. ourselves, you know, under branding umbrellas that we like.
0: Yeah. And For every good song I have in my play, uh, uh, in my um, library, I have probably like three awful songs.
2: Well, and that's the other thing that I would say is. They're on your playlist. You like them. Well, I say
0: awful, meaning guilty pleasures. Well, like, but, and
2: that's a, again, that's it's a point I, I wish we would talk about more. Why is it guilty? Why is pop music shameless?
0: Sure. No. Yeah. Exactly. No, I don't.
2: And I, and I hear you. Like I, I don't. But care. I feel the same way. Like I mean, there's definitely stuff on my playlist I would never admit publicly to having. Yeah. <laughs> and I well, and it, which is something I'm working on. Because you know, like I, I do think. For lack of a better terminology, you shake your ass music has its place. Oh yeah. M- music that makes you feel good and not think is a drug all by itself. Oh, and yeah. It's it's wonderful. In the same way that, you know, Tom Waits or, you know, Tori Amos or anybody that you, you know, if you songwriting that you just like because it speaks to you, that has its place. You know, when you're sitting alone in your room and you're just listening to an entire record and weeping. <laughs> like that has its place. And everything but not every day, place. right? And everything else has its place, you know. Rock music, folk music, all these things, and instead of just enjoying them and enjoying the art in a way that is, you know, we're meant to as people, we we let it define us, and that sort of ties back around to the labeling question that we were talking about before, which is, you know, labeling is great. It helps people understand things. It helps them organize things. Oh, you know, that's this. I can relate to that. But, when we let labels dictate our ability to have access to new things to to discount things without trying them that 's when they become very dangerous, and I think they become counterproductive
0: well doesn 't that speak a larger, <clears throat> um, to a larger degree of society? I mean when you think about we 're all about separatism, you know the clothes we you know i wo- you know I wear Nike because of what it represents, oh, you know, I have a Gucci handbag because it re- what it represents, uh, I listen to Leonard Cohen because of, you know, everything that he stands for, or, you know, I like Neil Young or Led Zeppelin or whatever, so, um, you know, this is me, you know, this is, you know, I, I like the films of, uh, you know, Fellini, so, we kind of like pick teams. Hmm. So I, I think whether it's, you know, whether our movies, our, you know, what we wear, our music, I hmm. think, I think a lot of times people do that.
2: But I think, you said, you know, it's about exclusion. I think a lot of it is actually about the opposite. I think it's about inclusion, wanting to be included in a group that you see well, as more valuable. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, that comes back to the comparison thing and the, the hierarchy thing. When we start to do that and compare, we, we rob the thing of its innate beauty that it already has, you know. And I, I, there's a great example that I I recently read the uh, there's a a book all about the making of the Princess Bride. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this film or not.
0: I, well, obviously I've seen the Princess yeah, well, Bride. Many, well, see, but that's they, a great
2: response. Obviously, I've seen this film
0: before. <laughs> no, but is it a documentary or a book? It's a book. Oh, okay. I mean, perhaps
2: they are making a documentary, okay. but I, I recently read the book. Um, and it was a lot of anecdotes about the film and a lot of history of the film and the screenplay that I hadn't known about before. And one of my favorite parts and, uh, of that story was that the screenplay existed for years and years and years before it got made. And nobody would touch it. And it got listed in you know, all these different journals and magazines as like the number one best screenplay that would never get made, that no one would ever see. And then it eventually did get made And they, you know, they, all this, you know, these moving parts finally came together and the right people got on board and they found just the right this and just the right that and decided, you know, what it could be. And then they didn't know how to sell it to people. It failed miserably at the box office. Adults thought it was for kids. Kids didn't know what to make of it. They, you know, boys thought it was a girl movie. Girls didn't really get it. So nobody went on. it. <laughs> it was just sort of this epic failure, right. and they did this, you know, so then there was this movie that got made that, you know, everyone thought, oh, nobody will even see this movie now that it's made, and because of the, they didn't know how to label it properly. They didn't know how to convince the audience that it was funny and sarcastic and a parody, but also, you know, very sensitive and real. They didn't know how to tell people that in a two-minute sound clip, <laughs> and it almost got lost into the abyss, and... I think that really struck me because I think that happens to a lot of art. Of course, oh, yeah. And I think that it, it speaks to a big problem that we have as consumers of art, which is how do we get past that the, the need to have things labeled and sold to us so that we know we're already like it? When did we stop trying things and risking the possibility that we may not? And I see it in myself my attention span is this big now and it's been such a challenge because i love the internet i love to screw around on the internet and look at things but i have noticed that you know i'll I'll look at the first three things or something and if i'm not already interested i just sort of move on because there's so much and we get this option paralysis of "Ah, there's so much content
0: (laughs) yeah i I, (laughs) i've been guilty of four of pat of 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 sending along articles without reading them of like, oh my Absolutely god, that's so bad. Absolutely posting things you didn't even read the entire thing. You're just like, yeah, that basically falls in line with my branding.
2: Which is how we've started to look at ourselves, just as people. Like, Each person is branding themselves on Facebook and Twitter. This is the kind of person I am. These are the kind of friends I hang out with. This is where I go. These are the movies I like. Essentially trying to package themselves and sell ourselves to the world. Like, oh, here's who I am in my little two-minute yep. sales pitch. Accept me. Like me. Think I'm valuable. And I think that that's what human beings really want, right? We want to be seen and heard and know that what we do and say matters and that someone accepts us. Not everyone, just someone. And some people have an idea of who they want those someones to be. And, you know, maybe that's part of the you know, Prada Gucci handbag the non one. Uh, and some of it is just that we don't have any more this value of ourselves in our inner light just being good enough. And look I'm just shining look I'm just living look that's good enough and I think that's a problem and I think it's a conversation that needs to happen more and that we all need to sort of muddle through and barrel through together and figure out how to solve so we can be people again instead of you know little brains
0: <coughs> well it's masks you know we all put on these different masks in front of you know different people um, you know whether um, you know whether you're in front of somebody professionally, or you're with your friends, or you know with a lover, or um, somebody who you may collaborate with artistically. Mm. You know, do you reveal yourself one hundred percent? You, I think you'd be kind of psychotic if you did. You know,
2: yeah, yeah that's a fine line, right? Like,
0: <laughs> you know, like like kaboom, like splurge. I'm like, whoa, yeah. you know, like. But so it's like
2: ninety percent. Odyssey is like the most healthy you. Like. Well, I <laughs> you think get a little less. Like, I think it's. I think you can be honest. and you know. You
0: passion. can be honest, but just you don't have to be completely candid. You know, sure, I think absolutely. that's maybe that's the thing. Because one thing that I've been kind of analyzing too, when I kind of you know observe people in my periphery or in my sure. in my um, you know in my in my day to day life. Is the ability you know uh, you know we lie so much you know even little things oh, yeah. I'm guilty of this I lie to people all the time yeah. but there's a difference between you know hi how are you oh, I'm doing great mm-hmm. versus uh, you know I'm I can't think of anything but you know something really superficial mm-hmm. or or you know taking you know uh, you know quote unquote I stand on something that you don't really give a crap about mm-hmm. Lying to yourself, sure. and, and and just, and, and I think when you alleviate that, and you alleviate the lying to other people, mm-hmm. I think it's it's a little it's obviously hard because we're so conditioned to mm-hmm. to you know put on these masks and and to kind of act out this this falsity, mm-hmm. but it does relieve yourself of stress mm-hmm. uh, a lot. It, probably presents different problems because of the culture we live in, Mm -hmm. but I think it does alleviate a lot of stress.
2: Yeah, I definitely do uh, think that it alleviates stress, I think that's why, you know, my grandfather calls it believing your own bullshit, (laughs) and uh, and I do think that believing your own bullshit is dangerous, and I also think bullshitting other people can be dangerous. Uh, You know, I do think that there can be elements of uh, not disclosing things, uh, that are necessary also just so that you can maintain a sense of self it's it's your decision if you want to if something has happened to you for example and you don't want to disclose it to the world that's your right it's your right to have privacy and I do think that there is a, a balance between yes you can be your authentic self and you can tell the truth and not always have to disclose every single thing about yourself you know that's you know I haven't heard the phrase that's none of your business in a long time <laughs> But some things are just nobody's business you know and I, I think Everybody decides for themselves where, the, where that line is, you know. I don't think we should all be required to be on display all the time for anybody. Uh, that being said, it works best for me. Uh, you know, I've tried to practice what I call compassionate, radical honesty. So you know, instead of saying or making up some dumb lie, <laughs> you know, like we, like we all have done and all do occasionally, to, it, to just say, hey man, I don't want to go to your party. Like I would love to go I would love to go to your party, I just don't want to. <laughs> like? And I think that uh, that relieves stress more than the mental masturbation. Right. I think it relieves stress for both people because the other person knows that you care. If I cared less I would have done the easy thing and just been like, Yeah and, and either not responded or lied. When so you maybe, get like, that
0: when you get that invite of like yes, no and you yes. click maybe and like Dude, we know what the maybe is. You're Absolutely,
2: not <laughs> you're not coming. Absolutely, it pretty much always means no. So. Um, and you know, even that being said, letting my babies be true maybe's, saying no when I mean no, and letting that be a complete sentence, which is, I think, a very difficult thing for everyone, but especially difficult for women. And you know, as a feminist, I think that that's something we also don't talk about as much, which is, you know, you can just say no when you don't want to do something. You don't have to have a reason. You don't have to say the reason if there is a reason. No is good enough, and you can oh, say a no. Oh, she's bitch. Yeah, <laughs> and you'd be surprised how often that happens, and even okay, if it's not cool. spoken. <laughs> question. So,
0: do you do you get that do you get that that pushback more from men or women, or is there a, do you notice any kind of? No, numbers? I think
2: we're all guilty of sexism, um, men and women. I think it's institutionalized. I think you know there's a patriarchal structure to the way we do things, and most of it I think is not. For malice, I think it's because we like what we're used to and we're used to men being an authority. I think it's as simple as that. I don't think it has to do with whether or not men and women are different. We know that we're different. I don't think it's whether or not we're equal. I think we all know that we're equal and capable and, you know, as capable as the other. I think it's just what we're used to and I think people like what they're used to. I think that's, you know, a big part of a lot of the racial movements we've been seeing is we've been seeing change because we've been seeing people of color come into power and we're not used to seeing people of color in power. We're not used to seeing women in power. It's new and it feels uncomfortable for a lot of people. And I think being uncomfortable is really hard for people. It's hard for me a lot of the time if I'm in a new setting or I don't feel, I mean, even if it's just something simple like I'm in a new place that I've never been before and I've never done this and I don't know how I fit in now.
0: I always, I feel like whenever there's uh Oh yeah, you can. Like I said, you can always just lean back. Yeah, <laughs> oh,
2: I yeah. See. That
0: yeah. I always feel like what there, any kind of there, any kind of progress, there's always going to be a pushback of resistance of the old way. Absolutely. You know, um, it's like you like can name anything. Five stages but, of grief. <laughs> yeah, of, of, of like uh, I don't know. I'm just picking something random. Like you know, our dependent on, on oil, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we have the technology that we could siphon away from it, but guess what? There are companies who are making billions and billions of dollars. You think they're going to go without a fight? No. And so I feel like that is trickled down to almost anything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, any kind of change, be it, you know, economic or social or, or moral. Yeah. You're going to have people saying, like, whoa, this is impeding on my life. I'm going to fight back on this.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, like with, all change and innovation and new and improved, uh, the first few beta models often fail, and if we had used all those failures as an excuse not to keep doing it, you know, I mean, it's, I try to remember, there's this great book, How to Be a Woman, uh, Caitlin Moran, uh, where she talks about feminism in regards to, uh, like, open heart surgery. Right. The first few times they tried that, <laughs> do you mean? And it didn't go so well. They didn't just go, "Oh yeah, it's terrible. We shouldn't do it." And sometimes, you know, the hearts would work for a while, and then they would just stop because it was not the right environment, and it was not, you know, all the pieces hadn't sort of been put together yet to let it thrive. And I thought that was a very good comparison, um, you know, because I think a lot of the times what we do is we see, you know, women or people of color try, and then not be automatically the best at what they did. And to go, oh, see, see, they are less than, see, they can't do it, see, they, you know, like, we were right, we should have just left it alone. Instead of just saying, you know, maybe we just need to keep developing this and keep making the atmosphere and the habitat stronger so that they can really thrive and they can really compete and they can really make the thing. I shudder to think how much art, technology, and innovation we've lost out on because we have not created a fertile environment for people of color and for women to, to grow their work. And I think it's a, tra- a tragedy. And I think that we are taking steps now. I see culturally it's changing. I see people not apologizing for their views on you know, uh, feminism and you know, racial issues and, and stepping up and, and demanding change and being that change and letting it start individually, interpersonally just where all the strongest change happens anyway, <laughs> and, and saying, you know, no. You know, I think the GLBTQ movement is, is a perfect example of people just standing, you know, by what's right and then just refusing to let the negativity win and to say, look, like, not only do we demand not to be criminalized, we demand to be acknowledged and respected and to at least have an opportunity that all of you do. And I think that a lot of groups are doing that now, and I think it scares people because it's change, and I think change is scary. But I don't think that means we stop trying. I think that means we try harder.
0: What did you think of the uh, the Caitlyn Jenner Vanity Fair cover?
2: It's an interesting uh, question. What do I think of it in terms of what?
0: Oh, just your reaction.
2: You know, I thought uh, good for her. <laughs> I thought that it was incredible. Uh, to see transgendered issues broadcasted on such a big megaphone. For me, that was huge because it represented such a massive visibility. Um, you know, that being said, I think it sparked a lot of great conversations about transgendered issues, about privilege, about, you know, white male privilege, about beauty standards. Uh, you know, one of my favorite conversations that I've heard happening about that piece is this idea that. You know, not everybody who's in the transgendered community wants or desires to be quote unquote passable, you know, in the gender that they're transitioning to uh, based on cisgendered heteronormative beauty standards. Like, and th- there was a lot of praise that automatically went to her saying, Oh, you know, she's so courageous and she's so beautiful. Look how beautiful and sexy she is. Whereas when he was Bruce, all anybody could talk about was his abilities his his, his, like, you know, focusing on his good looks. So I I found that a really interesting conversation that was just sort of a a side note that popped up. But yeah, I felt that the best thing that came out of that cover was the discussions and unfortunately uh, with those discussions I saw a lot of people building these walls around themselves on social media felt very strongly to one way or the other, would just shut the conversation down quite a bit or or argue in a way that was not productive or effective. That was a bit disappointing. Uh, you know, and I experienced a little bit myself, even in, within my own family and my um, own community. But I think as long as people talk to one another and, and share their truth and do so with genuine listening skills, you know, I think... Empathy and compassion is the new revolution that nobody is talking about. I think that our inability to relate to one another or to show empathy to them or compassion for them is becoming a huge problem. And I think that it's becoming a problem that's only sort of getting more magnetized by the internet because we have so much anonymity and also isolation. You know, what you wouldn't say to somebody's face, you will very easily say online. You know, everybody wants to think they're big and tough until you get. To looking in the white of somebody's eyes and you have to tell them, yeah, I don't like you. I don't like what you're doing. Very rarely do people do that. That takes a lot of courage. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, I think people even kind of witness that even in their own interpersonal relationships, how somebody can be so mean through text or email, Mm -hmm. but then face to face, it's like a completely different person.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, there used to be a level of accountability to hate speech. And, you know, hate speech is such a strong word. But even if it's not hateful, you know, I don't find many of the people who criticized uh, Caitlyn Jenner, hated her, or, um, you know, a lot of different groups for that matter. You know, when I find people disagree with a lot of these large political movements, it's mostly that they don't understand them, not that they hate them, uh, but there's a lot of ignorant speech that happens uh, that promotes ignorant concepts that whether they intend to or not does promote hatred and fear and contention, and even if it's just anxiety, the anxiety of having to have that conversation all the time. And oh, sure. and I, mean, I had a, a trans friend uh, point that out in one of their Facebook posts actually, that I thought was wonderful, um, saying sort of to the allies of the community, you know, if, if this week has exhausted you talking to people, this is how it feels all the time. 24-7. This is how it is. 24-7, and if we can't always gracefully show up to these debates and sort of graciously and you know, with this overexhausted amount of kindness. That's why, because we're depleted. We're depleted and we don't always have the resources to get it up, to, to be nice and kind and to educate every single person that doesn't like us or has a problem with us because they don't know any better. And I thought that was just very profound.
0: I think, my take is like, I think it's unfair to, uh, you know, put this individual and, and either just, just lacerate her or completely martyrize her mm. um, she she's none she's she's just a human being you know she does and, and people are projecting so much mm. either you know positive praise or just like downright evil hatred on this person it's one person I mean imagine like uh, you know Gina have thoughts and feelings and whatever you know her motivations Absolutely. are but that's just what that's not indicative of you know, a population or a community.
2: Well, and I think that's a very good point, and I think it is an important part of the conversation, uh, which is that part of the issue is that she's not a person right now, she's a symbol. And like many of the things that have, you know, taken place in the last couple of years, it's it's important to put that into context. Because yeah, there's, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, the human person, who alone in her bed at night when nobody is there to impress or see or, you know, that's just who she is. And then there is the public figure version uh, that has created this visibility and this symbolism for a community that's been really marginalized. And it's really, and I think, I don't know, rightfully so, difficult uh, for people not to say, you know, we're so happy, we're so excited, this is such a courageous, bold move, because we haven't seen it before. This is new, I mean, we've never seen a transgendered person at this scale be so visible. And you know, so I think that they're sh- they're sh- we're giving it the right amount of conversation, um, no matter what your opinion is about it. And I think that that's also important, which is, it's an opinion. And frankly, you know, I think we put too much emphasis on opinion culture now. I think, you know, a, an opinion without education is completely worthless. You know, I mean, it's, it's just emotion. It, it's, it's, you know, it's just emotion. It's not an opinion. It's just an emotional reaction. I think that's a very good point. Um, you know, and we see it a lot with the news networks, you know, it's like, well, in my opinion, it's like, yeah. well, you know, I could give an opinion about brain surgery right now.
0: Go ahead. <laughs>
2: and I and I I'm, and may very well.
0: Um, you for it? Like
2: you do. Um, but that doesn't mean anyone should respect it, because I never went to medical school. I could have all the opinions in the world about it, but they would be meaningless, because I don't have the education or the context to make that opinion worth anything. And, you know, it's, it's difficult, because in a world where you know, education isn't valued as highly as it should be, and intelligence isn't valued as highly as it should be. Opinions can feel, you're talking about the mental masturbation, having an opinion can feel very good, because nobody can tell you not to have it. Right. Nobody, if you could shut an entire conversation down by saying, well, that's
0: my opinion. That's what I feel. That's what I,
2: it's, and, and you know what? Feelings are important, and they should be counted, uh, but I think that education is more important than feelings. And I think that context is more important than feelings. And I think that for the you know for something to be really well understood, I think we need them both. And I think we need to start respecting them, especially when they're used together. Uh, but yeah, I think opinion culture is part of the issue with the reaction to these things. <laughs> you know,
0: I wonder. Do you think that started with all like the whole reality TV phenomenon? Because you know, in reality TV, I, 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 I would imagine all the formats are the same mm. you know they they have this little scene that's you know made up by the producers, mm. like somebody spills something or something, and then somebody you know has a you know a confessional to the camera mm. and it's all you know, like, it's all like, sure. oh, I hated when you know they threw beer at the hot tub or whatever yes, obviously if you were you know a space alien, you came down and said, "What the fuck <laughs> is going on here?" But if you're so inundated with that, right, you're so like, yeah, yeah, and then I have feelings too, and and you're communicating that way, I I think maybe that kind of expounds on the way we think and, you know, how we're internalizing things, you know, and and how we not only just speak to our friends, but how we're kind of viewing, receiving information for the first time.
2: Mm. So if I understand what you're saying correctly, you're saying that you feel that sort of media and... and television and narratives are influencing the way that we view the world
0: maybe I I, maybe uh in the sense of like the self-importance of Mm. um yeah I mean like I I have an opinion on Ebola but you know I I I shouldn't be you know in charge of you know any, any kind of evacuation or anything right but if I were to say, you know, anybody who has, you know has been to you know Sierra Leone or, or those infected areas mm-hmm. should not be allowed in New York. I mean, who am I? Like that's stupid, right?
2: And I mean, I think that's just also more fear mongering and, and things. I think that you know, pe- when people react from a place of fear, uh, the reaction is always not going to represent them as a person. <laughs> uh, you know, the reaction because people react to fear very differently, and usually it's fight or flight <laughs> right. right and and so i don't know i mean the reality tv thing is interesting i it's not very interesting to me um, i've never been a consumer of reality tv i have friends who are have, have participated in reality tv shows and and most of them have really lovely experiences they had a good time they you know they understood going into it that it was a narrative and that there were going to be a, there was going to be a lot of construction of what happened Quote unquote in the you know in their uh, episodes, <clears throat> excuse me, but I don't. I just I don't. It's not particularly interesting to me. Uh, I don't particularly like when we sort of masquerade something as oh truth, yeah, um, because I think it can be very damaging. You know. That being said, you know we we're talking about is it my place to say what's junk TV and what's useful TV? Absolutely not. Do you know what I mean like if as long as people know that that's a narrative and they enjoy it, like I, I'm not in a position to say that right. But I, exist. I guess
0: right. But I I was making perhaps the the linkage of you know those people are just they're they're so self important, mm. and maybe that has bled into uh, a social consciousness.
2: Ah, uh, so like the navel gazing.
0: Yeah, you know, like um, gotcha. you know, how dare you? You know that kind of like yeah. I'm so offended that you did this kind mm. of. Um, they get
2: really into their feelings
0: <laughs> yeah you know and also too like we were talking about um, uh, in terms of like social media and things like that do you think people you know who like you know just like get so enraged or so foul on, on online do you think they carry that over in their real life or do you think that's an outlet and like okay and then they're functioning and they're just kind of like a regular person
2: I think it takes all kinds and I think Different personality types get into entertainment for different reasons. Uh, you know, I think some actors get into acting because they they want to be seen. And I think some actors get into acting because they love the craft and the work of, of communicating emotions to other people and embodying them and and moving them around. And I have some actor friends who are incredible at it. And, you know, I respect what they do very much. but. Every single person I know, be it an actor or a comedian or an entertainer, they all take their work home with them in a different way, <laughs> and they all, you know, they all have their own personalities. At the end of the day, you know, you look at actors like Heath Ledger, who was a very, like, very serious actor, right? Not, you know, a reality TV personality, which is different than you know, being an actor, and you know, I think he still took a lot of that darkness into his real life when he did dark films. And I think many people, um, even when doing reality TV, do that, will take experiences or personalities that they tried on for the show home with them to try them out. Because that's what we do. I mean, you see it a lot in high school students, right? Like, am I gothic? Am I a rock star? Am I quiet and shy and demure? Like, that's how we discover who we are. We try on a bunch of things and then we reject them and i think we do continue that as adults so i imagine it's varied
0: but like you know that that you know that person let's 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 create this person let's, let's mm-hmm. this guy who's like this troll who's just like picking fights online mm. and just like spewing this venom right he I, I would imagine he's not that uh vocal in his day-to-day life mm. but is he using that as an outlet to neutralize that anger or is that just feeding it and building it up
2: that's really interesting. You know, it's it's funny, I've read some medical studies and uh, psychology studies uh, that have talked about different uh, reactions that people have to well, cathartic release, right? So that being said, like, you know, does hitting a pillow when you're angry make you more or less angry? And all the studies that I read said that they actually make you more angry. The people who went and watched a movie when later asked if, you know, they, they were, the study that I'm thinking of specifically was a, a class of people who, were, who wrote an essay and then they were all graded F, this was terrible essay, like, and just to piss them all off. And then half of the group was separated and said, oh, you, you can punch this bag, and the other half was like, you can go watch this movie. And then at the end, they let them grade the paper of the person who graded them. And the people who chilled out for a while did not react uh, sort of retaliatorily. Uh, to the person who had graded them, but the people who had stayed mad and kept beating the pillow were mad. Like, they, they continued, to just perpetuated their anger. So, you know, I don't think that catharsis is always the, the answer if we're trying to dissolve things. I think that Oprah said it best, which is that hurt people hurt people. I don't know if she was the first to say it, but that's certainly where I heard it first. Uh, which is that I think damaged people often retaliate by trying to do damage, and hurt people often try and find sense in the world by hurting other people because it's familiar to them and it's what they know. Uh, or maybe it feels fair. Um, you know, and I'm certainly not immune to it. You know, self-righteous anger feels good. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. feels really good. And I think it's our job uh, to sort of check ourselves. And, you know, and I think that part of the issue is that a lot of people don't have communities of support. They don't have any accountability. Nobody's checking them. And they're not checking themselves and so we have a lot of hurt people who are creating a lot of damage and not even realizing I think much of the time what kind of damage
0: they're doing yeah I guess uh, um, I mean I, I, I guess it you know it is something that I do think about but the fact that he you know we this person we just created mm, the fact that he just he's just you know unleashing all this hatred online mm. i guess to some point that's got to be helpful in the sense that he's not holding it in i don't know hmm. i don't know i go i guess you can make the also the argument of well, he is he's just ramping himself up
2: it's like that old uh That old metaphor, right, about freedom, like your freedom ends where somebody else's nose begins. Like (laughs) your freedom to punch someone in the face ends as soon as you get to their nose and then you don't have the freedom to do that. Like, So, yeah, I think he has the freedom to feel mad and I certainly do think he needs an outlet, but I think his, you know, he he doesn't get my pity, let me put it that way. He he loses a lot of my pity uh, when he starts putting that damage on other people and starting that chain reaction all over again because then it spreads like right. a virus. I right. mean, Good point. Yeah. you know, and you know, my grandmother used to say, kill them with kindness, uh, which is is a wonderful way to look at it. And I do, I try and, you know, I try and love bomb the things that I think are really negative in my world. And I think that, you know, it doesn't always work, but it's better than the alternative, which is to create more negativity and more nastiness. That being said, things are not always flowers and sunshine. Life is hard, bad things happen, really bad things. and. You know, it is important to have an outlet for those things and to acknowledge them and talk about them and not pretend that everything is lovely all the time. Uh, And also to stand up for yourself and not be a victim and not, you know, put yourself in situations where you're accepting abuse. That's a a different thing, too. You know, you can be very kind to somebody and establish a boundary with them and say, you know, I'm not going to tolerate this sort of behavior in my space. Or I'm not, you know, if it's a troll, sometimes it's just as simple as acknowledging them and then ignoring them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I do try that. I, I, you know, I like to, especially online, and it hasn't happened a, a whole lot to me, though I've certainly seen it happen to enough of my friends, where, you know, the negative comment section starts to get pretty large. <laughs> and, and I'm sure it will one day, and I'll have to confront it more, more heartily. But there is a level of, we're talking about accountability for that behavior. If you just ignore them, there's no accountability. If you acknowledge them and ignore them, it's sort of your way of saying, yeah, we're gonna all hold you accountable right now, and then know that what you're doing is so not important to us that we're not gonna talk about it again. Like, and I think that is how, or at least one of the more effective methods to sort of keeping the trolls under our bridges at bay. <laughs> is that
0: how you neutralize negativity in, in your actual life?
2: Good question. I try. Like if
0: somebody is who's in your in your Mm. orbit, is just coming at you and saying Mm. like, "Oh my God, Lindsay, you know what? I've thought about this. You're a real bitch. I hate you." It's it's
2: happened. It's happened. It's been very infrequent, but it's happened a couple of times. And I loved what you said earlier about sort of the mental masturbation because it's always so tempting to go to write them off and just say, "Oh, they're crazy and screw them," and you know what? They don't matter. And all of those things. It's like uh, it's like when we have a the I guess it's like a trope of the best friend in a movie that's like, oh, you were too good for him. <laughs> like, I don't know why that's my tropey. <laughs> White girl voice. <laughs> like, you
0: just see her like the it.
2: And, and actually that, that reaction, you know, while it feels really good, doesn't actually help anything. So in my personal life, the sort of the path that I've tried to go down and the one I try to actively and presently choose is to hear the person and let them be heard like really formally heard even if I hate what they're saying to really hear them and not to placate them or to bullshit them but to like really hear what they're saying to, to empathize with them try and understand if it were me and xyz it happened to me you know to approach my mindset from that standpoint uh, once I've done that and acknowledged them I will usually very calmly and lovingly try and not counter all of their points, which I find is usually not very effective. <laughs> um, usually we do that mostly for our own benefit, so we can feel justified in our own behavior and choices. And whether you're right or wrong, it does. I haven't found it particularly helpful, so usually I try and hear the person, acknowledge the person, and then let them know where I'm at and establish whatever boundary that's going to be to them. So I'll, you know, repeat what they've said, say, this is what I'm understanding you to say, is that correct? And then they will counter accordingly. And then say, you know, I'm really sorry you feel that way. I don't feel that way, this is how I feel. But, you know, I appreciate where you're coming from and you're gonna make the choices that you wanna make or have the opinion that you wanna have And I'm sorry that that's the case. And if it's something that I feel that I've done wrong, I might even say, hey, I'm so sorry about that and I'm gonna work to change it. But if it's something I'm not sorry about, that's also important to say well you know I'm sorry that you you see that as a negative thing um, that's just part of who I am or that's just how I choose to go about things again making you know a period at the end of the sentence and and then you know you can't control other people you have to let them do what they're gonna do
0: um, just to play devil's advocate yeah, here yeah. a little bit um, for the sake of self-preservation because it's mm. I mean we all need to take care of ourselves Absolutely. before we take care of somebody else sure. right isn't that a lot of heavy lifting
2: it certainly can be. I mean, you know, you think about all the time you waste in a day not doing anything important. <laughs> like, I think
0: that but it, well, I don't know if you're taking well, if you're doing things for yourself. I mean,
2: certainly, but I mean, I you know, I'm an artist. Like, we're already sort of notoriously self-focused and self-centered. <laughs> like, I spend a lot of time, you know, organizing my life and looking after myself and trying to practice good self-care, and I I feel like it's sort of the least we can do as human beings. Uh, when somebody is talking to us, like if somebody was speaking to you in person, would you just ignore them?
0: Uh, depending on the context,
2: you would. You would just completely ignore them.
0: Well, depend if, if somebody is just like, well, like the other day, somebody was on the subway. Mm. And he said, "Fuck you,"
2: mm. like yeah. literally to fuck you. you. Yes,
0: and sure. I was just like, "Wow!" Well. So the woman next to me was like, well, "What was that about?" I, was like, well, I have no idea. Like. I, <laughs> whatever <laughs> certainly
2: and so i and i do see your point and i i, I hear what you're saying like how much energy should so, you put into people who oh you're not exchanging it I, I guess i took the question to be more personal like people in mind sure in my role, uh, okay so i'll sort
0: of I'll, I'll frame this for a, sure. a, a real life sure. a real life scenario and and uh um so if you had a, you know, if you had a friend and, and, and they and they did that, you know, mm. they were saying like, you know, here's a laundry list of, yeah. you know... Uh, Things I don't like about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, you're not a good friend or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that actually happened to me. Mm. I, it just kind of came out of the blue. I mm. was actually trying to do something nice mm-hmm. or, or help the person very, in a very specific way. Sure. Like trying to get them a gig. Sure. Um, and all this like, mm-hmm. kaboom. Just kind of drama, yeah. And so I didn't, I actually did like Aikido and didn't even acknowledge mm. it. Mm. So anytime I was, attempt, I was tempted to reach out and say mm. like, hey, hey friend, let's talk about this. Mm. I actually called somebody else. Mm. I literally like, yeah, not text, I called somebody else because I figured my, my thinking was, it's exhausting to neutralize that dark cloud when there are so many people sure. that I love and mm. that love me and I don't, I feel like why can't I give them more time sure. and acknowledge them and, and and praise them and then have to deal with the squeaky wheel?
2: Certainly. And you certainly shouldn't have to. And I guess I, I'm not certainly not suggesting that anybody should not establish boundaries with people. You know, for example, in that context, if somebody said, you know, you're not being a good, a good friend to me, uh, which has, you know, occasionally happened again. I think it does with most of us, or if not many of us. Uh, you know, I might counter that with... Hey, I'm really sorry you feel that way. This is what I have available to give as a friend right now. I don't have anything else available. So, if, you know, this is, I'm, I'm giving you what I have available to give as a friend. And if that's not good enough for you, if you if you can't accept what I have to give, you know, I don't. Maybe it's time for us to go our separate ways, or maybe we should, you know, push a pause on this for a while until we're in different spaces. Um, you don't always have to neutralize anything or, or or try and manipulate the outcome to to be positive or negative sometimes it's just about allowing things to be and to do so, like my parents always used to say you can't control what other people do but you can control what you do. Really, you can't control, I, I, that's you know, what I say, praise to your own you can't control, yeah. <laughs> you can't control what, how somebody you know, reacts to you, all you can control is what they're reacting to. And if what you're reacting to is true of spirit and with kindness and not with malice, even at the end of the day, even if it's a small amount of time that you're investing, I still think we need more good people in the world and I think it's worth my time to try and be a good person than to say, eh, fuck okay. <laughs> it. Like, which, you know, it's tempting. Again, you know, it's it's so human to want to do the thing that is easiest and feels the best. Like, that is that is the most human thing. Is that the best thing? I don't know. I, I know that it works for me. I know that, you know, I, I am happier and can sleep better at night when I don't have conflict out there in my, you know, subconscious universe if I'm not if I can just for myself put it to peace it's, it's like the idea of forgiveness right like you don't forgive the other person so that things are fine you forgive them so you can be at peace about it and right. you don't have to cycle around it like a hamster on a wheel anymore and so even if it's just for that I mean I would say that you know radical compassion and radical empathy is pretty selfish because it really is just about wanting to garner more peace for yourself in your world um, I think it does everybody good
0: my mom used to have a saying, or I guess she still does. Uh, if you can't, any situation you're in, you should be able to laugh. And if you can't, then you need to reevaluate it.
2: Mm, that's a really beautiful light idea. Uh, I don't know that that would be something that I subscribe to. I I'm I feel like feelings are so transient, or at least they should be, and so poignant that. You know, I definitely am not somebody who thinks you have to be happy all the time.
0: Well, there's a difference. I yeah. think, I think, I, if I, if I'm, artic- if, I'm mm. if I'm interpreting her correctly, mm. is that this you can't let the situation own you. You can't be so yeah, angry absolutely. or so like you can like t- step back and laugh at yourself mm. or laugh. You know, like oh my god, this really isn't that big of a deal. Uh, like, no.
2: Yeah, it sounds like one of the wisdom nuggets somebody gave me years ago, and I. I really wish I could remember who it was because it stuck with me so long, um, which is that you should never take anything too personally or too seriously, <laughs> Right. which is what I hear you saying when you say that, like right. you should laugh at any situation, like, and I try to, to apply that to everything, and it seems to help if I don't take things too seriously or too personally, because usually they're not personal, and even in the instances that they are personal, often it's coming from so much emotion from the other person that it, you still can't own you know, too much of uh, what's happening on another side. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, not too personal, not too serious. But I do think everything has its place, you know, and I do think that people should feel their feelings and they should cry when they're sad and laugh when they're happy and, uh, you know, laugh until they cry and cry until they laugh and <laughs> do all of those things uh, when it's appropriate and when they're there and just be them. Like, stop trying to live your life over here in a faraway place and just be present if things are shitty. Let them be shitty. Let them be gloriously shitty. Talk about how shitty they are in a way that is transient. Like, they're shitty right now, not, oh, they're shitty. This will be shitty forever. Like, that's what helps me the most is to know that things, seasons turn over, things change, things pass. And that's all you get. Like, nobody's going to do a recap of your life and you're not gonna look at all the cell phone photos you took from 2008 (laughs) and go through them all and think with nostalgia, oh, that was such a good, no, like, you're gonna be too busy dealing with where you are now and thinking about how you are now, maybe with the exception of getting, you know.
0: So here's a little technical glitch Uh, for some reason. (laughs) Here I asked Lindsay, what is happiness? And and I don't know why, but but that particular uh, bit was cut off. And anyway, here's your reply, sorry about that.
2: I would say, Probably satisfaction, too, in that, um, and maybe a mix of aspirations as well. I think that happiness isn't something that's done. It's something that's growing and alive, you know? And, uh, yeah, I think that possibility is an important element of that. Where it's like, okay, you can have contentment and joy and pleasure and, you know, and feel at peace and still be open to the possibility that you don't know what you don't know. And that there could be more than that, or something other than that, that could also, you know, affect your life in a profound or meaningful way, or you know, add something beneficial to it. Uh, And that's yeah, that's what happiness means to me.
0: Awesome, Uh, Lindsay. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, pleasure. Oh, thank you. And and, uh, people can find out information about your music at lindsaycatmusic.com Is that right?
2: Lindsaycatmusic. I. Am I'm still uh, in that fun space of construction on the website so we have sort of a templated website up right now uh, but yeah very soon uh, we'll have a new website up and most of my sort of fan interactions and uh, one of the best ways to communicate with me is actually on Twitter as you, as you know uh, which is just at Lindsay Cat, and it's
0: the easiest way to find me. Well there you have it everybody. Thank you Lindsay, thank you so much. My pleasure. Everybody uh, thank you for listening. Uh, go out and do good in the world. Thank you for listening to my conversation with the lovely and amazing Lindsay Cat. I'm gonna play you out to another song from uh, the Happy Fits of Rage EP. Please, I encourage you to, if you like these songs, go out and and get this uh, get this um, beautiful beautiful work of art. Uh, you can follow Lindsay on Twitter at Lindsay Cat. Her website is Um this song has uh has really helped me in uh in this period of uh of of hardship you know uh it's all i'm gonna say right now um bob this one's for you buddy wherever you are take care everybody see you next week